we are just a few weeks into a sermon series uh, that we are calling in, in need of a prophet. It's looking at the life of Elijah and his interactions and work. And this morning we are up to 1 Kings 18, where I'll be reading verses 1 through 16. The words will be on the screen, or you may open up in your pew Bibles to page number 352, if you'd like to follow along there. Again, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read from Scripture. And many, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys, perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And Obadiah said, How have I sinned that you give, would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when, then you, and when they would say, He's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab that he, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, had feared the Lord from my youth, has it not been told, my Lord, that I, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the extracurricular activities that my daughter Ella has been participating in over the last couple of years is uh, the robotics team at school. And if you were like me and no idea what that meant or means, uh, every year in January, they come up with a challenge, some sort of game that they want the different teams to participate in. And then the responsibility of the students is to design and create a robot that will, to the best of its ability, achieve the objectives of that particular game. 
And given that broad scale of responsibility, it was amazing when you go to these competitions to see the variety of ways the different teams uh, designed robots to accomplish different tasks. Some were small and short, others were narrower and tall. Some have big, long arms attached to them, while others even were created so it could jump into the air to accomplish some of its objectives. But it was amazing the variety of different ways they came up with to accomplish its task, looking very different, but each one accomplishing its responsibilities in different ways. I bring that up because overall in this series, we've been dealing with the general issue of the struggles that we often have in our society and in the church. Things that we know are not going right and huge challenges that lie ahead of us. And the natural question that comes behind that is, well, what can we do about it? How are we to respond? Is there anything that we can offer in order to bring about change or solutions or answers? And into that question, or those questions, I think we approached our text for this morning. Now, I know there are many visitors here this morning, so let's catch everybody up just on where we have been. In 1 Kings chapter 16, at the end, we learn that King Ahab came to the throne with his wife Jezebel. And they were described as the most evil of kings that had yet existed, more wicked than all of the kings that had gone before, noticeably in their elevation of Baal worship as the official religion of the land. And it was a trying and awful time. And then in 1 Kings 17, we learn right away that into that time came the prophet Elijah, who spoke boldly to Ahab when he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. A direct challenge to the God that they were trying to serve, Baal, who was known as the God of rain and fertility. So right after making that statement, we saw last week that Elijah ran and, and hid himself. He hid himself first as a brook, and then later on going up to Zarephath and Sidon, where he was preserved and protected by a widow and her miraculous supply of oil and flour. But now that we get to chapter 18, Elijah, having been in hiding, we learn for over three years, is sent back into public ministry. God tells him in verse 1 of 18, go, show yourself to Ahab. And once again, he's not only sent on a task, but he's sent with a promise. The promise, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so we know where this is headed. The drought that has lasted over three years is finally going to come to an end. But before the rains are brought, God has to find a way to make it abundantly clear that it's not Baal who's going to get the credit for bringing the rain, but it is the Lord and he alone that brings the rain, that it's coming at the word of his prophet Elijah. But before we see where this is headed in the great conflict between God and Baal, which we will look at next week, we have this interim scene of just a few verses of his journey. As Elijah returns to Samaria, we learn a few things. We learn how devastating this, uh, this famine and drought has been for these several years. 
And we also learn about Ahab and Jezebel and what's been happening during Elijah's absence. We learn that they had gone on a killing spree. That they had killed off many of the prophets of God. Now, as a polytheist, it was unlikely that they cared whether people worshipped other gods. It was no big deal, but... They didn't want these prophets who, in serving the Lord, would criticize the way that they were worshiping other gods and introducing this idolatrous worship into the nation of Israel. And so, in opposing and speaking out against Ahab and Jezebel, bringing the word of the Lord, they were being killed, hunted down, and eliminated. And yet, while Ahab and Jezebel are willing to kill off these people, we also learn that he's got a concern for his animals. That the, the grass is so sparse that they could hardly find grass and, and feed for these animals. And so he's on a hunt to try to get them and, and find some to keep the animals alive. Which I think is just another glimpse into who Ahab was. A ruthless king, unable or unwilling to actually act to deal with the major struggles of the day and repenting from his idol worship, but far more concerned about his own kingdom and rather than God's people. I appreciated the comment that uh, one of the commentaries made that in searching for grass and in searching for Elijah, we see in Ahab someone who is constantly on the look, but looking in all of the wrong places and never finding what he truly needs. There's another play on words as well when we get to verse 6 and we are told that Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. When we see these two men, we learn that they are literally going in opposite directions from one another. And that serves as an introduction to this other person who's in this scene, this man named Obadiah. And to be clear, this isn't to be confused with the later prophet who wrote the book of Obadiah. This is the only time that this Obadiah appears in Scripture to the best of our knowledge. And the first thing that we learn about this Obadiah is his role, his job. In verse 3, it says that Obadiah was over the household which is probably a technical way of saying that he was the chief officer in the court of King Ahab. Meaning like Joseph was to Pharaoh or Daniel was to Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king's right-hand man, an important person responsible for many tasks in the kingdom, constantly in the presence of this king. But as soon as we learn about that, we also learn that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. A description that speaks very highly of his relationship to God. And the evidence of that relationship is that uh, when Jezebel was on her killing spree, hunting down and eliminating the prophets of God who brought any kind of critique to her or her husband, Obadiah took 100 of them and hid them in a cave, keeping them alive. And he did so at great cost. You think about how there's a famine in the land and somehow Obadiah has to come up with a way to bring food and water to keep a hundred people alive while they are in hiding. All the while never being discovered because the other cost is the risk. 
He's with Ahab every single day, but he is subverting the will and the wishes of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And so if he is ever discovered, he will be killed immediately and everyone that he is hiding. And so he is doing so as an incredible risk to his life. So having been introduced to what's been going on, we do learn that while Elijah is on his way to go back to Ahab and confront him, he doesn't encounter Ahab first, but he first encounters Obadiah. And Obadiah recognizes him, and he falls on his face before Elijah. And then Elijah brings a command to Obadiah in verse 8, saying, Go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And in response to that straightforward command, for the next several verses, verses 9 through 14, Obadiah gives this lengthy speech, as one commentator described it, really a rant in response to this command. Obadiah fills Elijah in on many of the things that have been happening while Elijah was off in hiding. He explains the danger that this command would provide to him, and therefore by extension to all of the prophets that he had been hiding. And Obadiah seems more than just a little reluctant to obey Elijah's word. And between these two men, there seems to be uh, far more tension than there is friendship. But we have been seeing lately that God's word of command also brings a promise. And in verse 15, Elijah promises that as the Lord of a host lives before whom I stand, you surely will, I will surely show myself to him today. And so Obadiah goes off in his reluctance and he gets Ahab to let him know that Elijah is back. Now, having looked at that scene, let me confess that as a pastor, one of the difficulties you always have is, well, how do you break up the text, and, and where are the sermons that we should have? And there is, and was, a bit of a temptation that often many do, is just kind of run past this part of the text and just include it with the next grand story that we will be looking at. Uh, and that was, but, and it's tempting to do, but... In that, you have to pause and recognize that this story's here for a reason. And in an odd way, in many ways, you could go from verse 1 of chapter 18 to verse 17 and never even realize that anything was missing. The story would make complete sense without any mention of Obadiah or any of these details. Which raises the question, well then why is it here? Of the few stories that are told, why is this included and why should we even focus on it? Which became one of my driving questions in my research throughout this week. Now on the one hand, the clear and easy answer to that is the value of the information that we get in this narrative. This is where we learn of the devastation of the, the famine. This is where we learn about what was taking place with the prophets and just how dangerous this situation is and the extreme danger that Elijah is placing himself in in returning to Israel because of how urgently Ahab had been looking for him. And yet, what we also learn is that God was at work. 
that while Elijah was off hiding himself for many years, God was still doing something that even the great prophet Elijah was unaware of. And in that, I think there's a point to this text to be made. There are a few things that stand out about this passage. First of all, it is abundantly clear that both Elijah and Obadiah are elevated as unique and wonderful followers of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, of the Lord. They are people who are listening for God's guidance and his voice and obeying it when they hear it and serving him. And yet, both of them were taking very different paths toward that end. At the beginning, Elijah had been extremely bold in pronouncing the coming of this drought to the land. But then immediately after, as he said, he fled from the land. He hid himself away for literally years, being as far as he could be from Ahab and all that was going on in Israel. On the other side of that was Obadiah, who for those three years was literally around this wicked king almost every single day, his right-hand man constantly in his presence and every day risking his very life as he took care of the hundred prophets that he had in hiding. Elijah had been dependent upon ravens to bring him water, I mean, sorry, to bring him bread and meat every day, and then he was dependent upon the widow of Zarephath to provide for him. Obadiah, on the other hand, was acting like the widow and those ravens. He was the one providing the food and the sustenance for these hundred prophets. But now, after these three years of hiding, Elijah is showing back up on the scene, commanding Obadiah to go and reveal his presence to Ahab which makes Obadiah more than a little bit uncomfortable and scared. He's very reluctant to comply. And as I mentioned, the result of that is the scene comes off as a bit oddly contentious between these two individuals who we would think are supposed to be on the same side, who are working toward the same goal. Both of these men were men of God, both were placed into a very difficult setting in history. Both were called to do the work of the Lord and to serve him in some very risky and dangerous ways. And yet, both were responding to that task in very different ways. And so who was right? Elijah or Obadiah? The answer is, they both were. God had a call for Elijah that he was being faithful to. A call to go and to hide and to stay away for years. And God had a different call for Obadiah. To be in the very presence of the wicked king Ahab and yet to continue to preserve and protect his prophets. And despite those differences, both were doing the work of the Lord. And one commentator put it, Faithfulness to God is not so dull that it only comes in one flavor. Think about that as we baptize these three children this morning. Although Gideon, Griffin, and Madison will forever share this moment and this day where they were together 
baptized in the same water with the same promises being made to them, we know that as they grow, their relationship with the Lord, their personal calling is going to look very different. And we know that because of the diversity that I see in the church. The diversity of those that are called or equipped or able to stand with a microphone and help lead us in worship or of musical gifts and talents that they share with us each and every week. And yet there are others that would be scared to death and would leave the church before they were ever able to stand up here and hold a microphone in the presence of others. But at the same time, play substantially important roles to the function of the church behind the scenes that people hardly ever see or hardly recognize. Praying for people making food for them, writing cards and supporting them, something that's far different from this responsibility, but it is also a necessary and important function to the body of the church. Now, I know that there are many things that this world faces and challenges that I myself am completely ill-equipped to take care of. But there are other people who have different passions, different gifts, and they bring those to the service of the Lord, which is a joy to have Jeff Bolt here this morning and to kind of remind us of how that's in the broader church as well. Could you imagine that if from our own congregation we had to find someone who was going to go to Burma and somebody else who was going to go to India and, and someone who was going to train up the next leaders in the church and someone who was going to make sure that, that we are communicating and studying big and important issues. We can't do that by ourselves. But thanks be to God that when we work in community and together and we use our different gifts and talents, they come together in a beautiful way that together we are able to accomplish far more than we ever would on our own and where and how God is calling me might look very different from where he is calling you. But there is a beauty to the diversity in those different callings. But at the same time, there are, tar there are moments when we can get pretty stubborn about our own particular calling. We assume that since God is, is moving us and calling us to act in a particular direction and to focus on a particular area, that means that everybody else needs to be focusing on that area and serving in the exact same way. And in the struggles of our culture, there are some who, when they are called to go, get frustrated with those who are called to wait. There are some that when they are called to stand up and act and do something in public, get discouraged by those who are called to do things in behind the scenes. There are others that almost get angry when they are called to speak up. Look at brothers and sisters who are supposed to be working with them against these things, and yet they were called to be silent. Only Christ ever followed the Lord perfectly. And yet, his mission was completely unique to him. Only Christ could come to offer himself as a sacrifice. Only he would rise again from the dead from his own power. And only he could offer to us forgiveness of sins. And yet, even in his work, he was opposed by the religious leaders of that day, saying he was doing things completely wrong, which is much of why he went to the cross on an earthly level. And in his ministry, as he raised up and he sent out the disciples to continue his work, 
He chose a wide variety of individuals with different gifts and talents in that work. And so, in looking at this text, there's a joyful celebration of the fact that during this difficult time, God had raised up different leaders with different callings and responsibility, and in those differences, they both were working toward the same goal in a wonderful way. Now, in saying that, I have to pause, and I have to be very careful and very clear that there are some limits to that. While there is a beautiful diversity to celebrate and acknowledge in serving the Lord, this is not an invitation to say, well, then each one of us can know and worship God in our own way as we want to. So, for example... While many of us might be called to take a stand against abortion, and there are many different ways that we can do that work, none are called to take that stand by murdering other individuals. While we worship in different ways in different churches and in different kinds of communities, there are practices and points to beyond which where you no longer are just worshiping God, but you are creating an idol of God that you are worshiping. So to be clear, God never calls people to live or serve in particular ways that would violate his general and revealed will for all people. And so again, this is not an invitation to just live life your own way. We are not Ahabs that are going about building our own kingdom and drawing glory to ourselves and doing things how we want to do them. Instead, we are all called to build and serve in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. But in that work, how we do that will and does look different. And so the encouragement in all of this for you this morning is, number one, to be listening. That as we read the word of God and as God stirs up particular passions and we think about the particular gifts and talents that we have that are unique to us and different from others, we need to be listening for the voice of the spirit that says, this is where you are being called and how you should be serving. And when we hear God prompting and pushing us that we respond with yes, Lord, may you be glorified and may your kingdom be built through me. So listen for how God is calling you and respond when he directs. But then secondly, be humble in that response. And recognize that sometimes when God has a calling to you, a direction and a prompting for where you are being asked to serve, it may not be the same area where somebody else is being called to serve and how they are being called to serve in that area. But again, in that we joyfully celebrate that together, we can accomplish a lot more than we ever would on our own because of that uniqueness. God had a call for Elijah. He had another call for Obadiah, very different, but together they both were serving the kingdom of God and it was advanced in a unique way for, during a very difficult time. When we find ourselves facing very difficult challenges, your call may be different from somebody else's, but together, as long as we are focusing on building the kingdom of God and giving glory to him rather than to ourselves, we look forward to ways that that can be accomplished and celebrated together as we all point to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. 
Lord God and Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the diversity and variety within your family members and how you have equipped different people with different skills and abilities, with different passions and, and desires, able to uh, face and different challenges in different ways. Lord, I thank you for that because there are things that sometimes we get ignorant of or areas that your heart breaks for that we can ignore on our own. But I pray that together your work is being done and we can celebrate how different people are serving you in different capacities. Lord, may our service always be in line with your word. And no matter who we are, may our greatest desire to be to build your kingdom, to proclaim your name, to preserve your word, and to point others to the hope that we all can find in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.